0: It's true that the all-powerful God of the universe wants to talk with us. What in the world is keeping us from talking back? Well, Happy Happy New Year. It's good to see you this morning. This is the first weekend of the new year. I love the optimism uh, in the air right now. How many of you think that Christians ought to be the most optimistic people on the planet? I really do, yeah. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us right now from an offsite site uh, campus or maybe somewhere else in this building, in the warehouse, the chapel, or uh, in the loft, uh, and uh, on the internet. We're glad that you guys are along also. Let me ask you a question. Did, you, did anybody here, and I know this is going to date me just a little bit, but did anybody here see the movie City Slickers. Anybody see that? Okay, in the early 90s, I think it had some shelf life to it. And uh, it starred Billy Crystal, and Billy Crystal was had uh, was a character named Mitch who was a New Yorker and he's 39 years old and he's going through a midlife crisis him and a bunch of his buddies. And so they decide Uh, to go to New Mexico on a cattle drive to figure out, you know, kind of what life is about. Well, uh, Jack Palance won an Academy Award uh, for the movie City Slickers, and he plays a tough old cowboy named Curly. And in one scene in the movie, Curly and Mitch are out riding, and Curly offers Mitch, Billy Crystal, some advice on life. Now, I was going to play the video clip, but... It has one rather uh, foul word that we don't usually use on the weekend. Well, you use it on the weekend, but not here. Um, So I think I'm going to get around that, and I'll just tell you kind of what the scene was. So Curly, they're on horses, you know. Curly says to Mitch, "Do do you know what the secret of life is? And Mitch says, no, what? And Curly says this, and he holds up one finger. Mitch says, Your finger? And Curly goes, No. He says, One thing, just one thing. You stick to that one thing, and the rest don't mean squat. And he may or may not have used another word uh, in place of squat. And uh, Mitch goes, That's great. What's the one thing? And Curly just smiles. And he says, That's what you got to figure out. <laughs> I thought about that. Thanks. Great advice. Just go figure it out, you know. I mean, what is it? What is it? Is, is there really just one thing? Um, is, uh, is it situational? Does the one thing evolve? You know, depending on the situation you're in, it's this thing or this situation, it's that thing. Is it like a really big thing? Is it a small thing? What is the one thing? Help me out here, Curly. That's all he says. You got to figure it out. What is the one thing? Well, fortunately, Jesus has uh, ways in kind of on it and has some wisdom on the subject. Do you remember uh, when somebody came to Jesus one time and they asked him, "What is the one thing in the law? What's the one thing in the law?" You remember what Jesus said to him? He said, "It's knowing and loving God. It's the Shema, Deuteronomy six. Every Jewish." person knew that the most important scripture in the in the Torah the Shema love God with all of your heart mind soul and body then Jesus kind of adds a 1a or a 1b to the 1a as it relates to the Torah and he says knowing and loving God and then loving your neighbor as yourself that's what it's about but as as we watch his life there was another one thing principle that kind of encompassed all of that that became evident to his followers. There was one thing that uh, his life was about. It it governs every decision that he makes. It was the big thing that he turned to whenever he was was faced with resistance, whether that resistance was um, people, uh, religious authorities, or even nature. He turned to his one thing. He, uh, it became obvious uh, to his followers that it was the secret to his success. It's where breakthrough came from in his life. And so one day, uh, one of his followers asked him about his one thing. And it's found in three of the Gospels, and I'll just read a first part of it in one Gospel, and then we'll read a little bit more about it in another Gospel. But in Luke 11... In verse 1, it's on your outline sheet if you got one as you came in. It says, once Jesus was in a certain place praying. And as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. The disciple came and, and, and said, this is it. We, we watch you. We, we see what you do, and, and it's amazing, and this is the secret to it, and in fact, if I'd have put the rest of the scripture on. It said, uh, "Teach us to pray." You know, John taught his disciples to pray, and yet how you pray is so unique and so powerful and so incredible. We need to know. Would you teach us to pray? And so, how did Jesus respond to that? In the next passages, he he does three things. He Teaches them a pattern to pray, pray, kind of a kind of a team prayer. Okay, this is this is how we pray, and then he uh, gives them a story, an illustration, and then he gives them encouragement uh, for for prayer and for praying. And I'm going to spend most of my time on that third one, the encouragement for praying. But what I'd like to do is let's go through the other two real quick. First, I want you to stand together. Let's stand together, and we're going to recite. You don't have to do it by memory now. If, if you were raised in kind of a liturgical Protestant church, we call it the Lord's Prayer. If you were raised in a Catholic church, it was called the Our Father. If you were raised without church, um, you've probably heard it. I've got it written down for you in your outline sheet. But I'd like for us, if we would, uh, to recite uh, the Lord's Prayer, the pattern for prayer that Jesus gave. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You can have a seat. Now, in that prayer, there is so much power. Um, We could teach for six six weeks or six months just from Jesus' pattern of prayer. But that's not the purpose for what we're doing today. So he gives a pattern for prayer. And then the second thing he does is he tells a story about prayer. And he he says, there's a guy that goes to his friend's house at midnight. And it seems that uh, this guy's had another friend show up. And he hadn't had time to go to Harris Teeter or, you know, Publix or wherever it was that he shopped back in that day. And he's out of bread, and he needs three loaves of bread, so he goes to his friend's house at midnight, and he begins to knock on the door. And his friend uh, yells out, hey, I'm sleeping already. You should be sleeping. My kids are sleeping. I'm not getting up. Because it would wake up the whole household. Mama would not be happy. And we know when mama's not happy, nobody's happy. When daddy's not happy, nobody cares. Okay, we know that. And so, and so go home. And Jesus says this. He says, your friend would not get up and open the door just because you are a friend but he would because of your, and he uses a word that is translated importunity. Say that together, importunity. And sometimes uh, as we read this, we we translate that just to be persistence, but it's more than persistence. Importunity has uh, kind of in its meaning uh, shameless persistence. It says if you keep knocking, and you're shameless about your knocking. It, it, it also means annoyingly obnoxious. Does anybody... Know anybody like that, okay? Don't point, don't point, okay? Yeah, he he said, because of your shameless persistence, your annoyingly obnoxiousness, your lack of social graces, anybody knows that time of the night you shouldn't be there, and when your friend calls out, quit knocking, you should go home, but you don't. You continue to knock. Jesus says he's not gonna open the door because he's your friend. He's gonna do it because you are obnoxiously in pursuit of whatever that you want. And, then he, and, and his point is this: his point is, even a flawed human will respond to bold, obnoxious persistence. How much more should we as Christians boldly go before our Father God with the needs that we have and he's not saying that God is like your friend and says, "Go home I'm sleeping in fact this is the, uh, th- this is kind of an opposite deal if If you know that you have a friend who will answer you because of your importunity, your bold, obnoxious, lack of social graces, persistence, how much more will your Father in heaven, who's not like that, listen to you when you come to him? You need to come boldly, even obnoxiously, to God with your requests. So he gives this story. And then he gives an encouragement to pray. And that's what I want to focus on today. Now, most of us honestly could use a breakthrough in some area of our lives. Would you agree with that? I mean, uh, it may be financially. You know, you, uh, you it may, may you're, maybe you're at a point right now where you need a breakthrough, or it could be relationally. You know, you, uh, it could be with a, with a spouse or children or friends or schoolmates or whatever it happens to be. You're, you're at a point you need a breakthrough. Or it could be physically or spiritually, politically, in, in, in any area. And, and the problem is most of us don't know how to get to a breakthrough. We hear about a one thing and we all have lots of one things. You start every year with a one thing. Well, maybe this year is the year. You know, th- this, this time, this is the thing that's going to make me happy and feel complete. And it never is, and it changes. And I I can say to you, getting married isn't the one thing that will make 2013 amazing. Getting divorced isn't the one thing that will make 2013 amazing. Having children isn't the one thing that will make 2013 amazing. Making more money isn't the one thing. You'll show up next year with the same stuff. No, here it is. Here it is. The one thing that will make this year amazing is the one thing that Jesus practiced that got him breakthrough after breakthrough, and that's prayer, and that's prayer. And so, and so if we can get it, and it, you know, I don't want that. some of you right now are turning this off and going, oh boy, it's gonna be guilt. I don't pray. I should be praying. I'm not praying. It's gonna make me feel. That's not it at all. I'm hoping this is a whole different view on it, whole different view. If we can get this one thing today, I believe that we will have breakthroughs in every area that we need a breakthrough in this year because it's what the word tells us. So, what is Jesus? So, what I want to do is I want to look at kind of three three aspects of what Jesus teaches on prayer, three lessons or three encouragements from this passage, and then at the end, I wanna challenge you with, with real, real short, three real practical things, practical takeaways. In fact, this message, more than probably any of them I've done in quite a while, will not be completed at the end of my speaking time. It will not. This message will be completed when you take your homework home and you begin to apply and do what we're gonna talk about. I'm gonna give you three specific things to apply and do at the end, okay? So what does Jesus teach on prayer in order to encourage his disciples and encourage us uh, to pray and here they are here's the first one is that he teaches that God wants us to ask him for what we need very simple God wants us to ask him for what we need first part of the scripture i'm reading from Matthew now which is same same uh, kind of same story just different gospel uh, he says ask and it will be given to you seek and you will Find, knock, and the door will be opened to you. It's kind of three ways of saying the same thing. Three, three times in three different ways, he invites us to pray. What does repetition mean? If you're a parent and you're talking to your kid and you say the same thing three times, what does that mean? I want you to get this, put your ears on, Put your listening ears on. I want you to get this. And that's what Jesus is saying. He says, ask. No, 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 really. Seek. Listen, I'm not kidding about this. Knock. I want you to receive your Father's help on this. Because you need to to come to the Father to receive what you need from Him. There's another scripture that uh, James 4 and verse 1 and 2, that I was reading it this week, and I'll be honest with you, I, I saw it from a little different angle than I've ever seen it before in light of what Jesus taught. I want to read it to you. James 1, 4, or James 4, 1 and 2. says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Holiday dinners. <laughs> Long times off of work with people. No, that's not what he says. That's not what he says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Some versions of the Bible say evil desires. don't so you think about this. What causes? Don't they come from your desires? You desire, but you do not have, and so you kill. That's a problem. You covet. What does covet mean? Covet means you see something that somebody else has, and you want what they have, but you don't want them to have it. You covet. You covet what they have. But you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and you fight. Look what he says. You do not have because you do not ask God. Here's what was interesting to me as I read this this week in light of what Jesus said. He says, uh, the problem, at least in in this passage, isn't the desire's. We all have desires. Sometimes we're embarrassed about them. And he, he doesn't say the problem is the desire here. Uh, the, the problem is uh, how you go about fulfilling the desire. You kill somebody else or you covet what somebody else wants. He says, no, the problem is this. You didn't ask God. The reason you don't have what you desired there is you didn't ask God for it. So it's not necessarily the desire that's the problem here. Now, we can have poor desires and it's dealt with in other ways, but he says the the core issue is that you just aren't going to the right source for what you need. And Jesus says, God wants you to ask him for what you want, for what you need. The second encouragement is this, everyone who asks, receives, Now that one just blows our mind. In fact, it's real hard for us to believe that that's really the truth, but that's what Jesus says. In the next part of the verse, he says, for everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. He doesn't say, some who ask, some who seek, some who knock will find. No, he doesn't even say most will. He says, all, all, everybody who asks, everybody who seeks, everybody who knocks, We'll find. Now, why does he say that? Well, I think one thing, one reason he says is because it's true. Whether I believe it or not, it's true. But I think that he's dealing with our um, timidity, um, our self consciousness, our um, hesitancy to come to God with what we really need or what we really even want. Sometimes, Sometimes we don't ask uh, because, or, or sometimes we, we, you know, pray in ways that we think will sound right to God and right to everybody around us. And Jesus is saying, no, come ask. Just come come talk to Him. Everybody who asks receives. Sometimes we don't ask because we, we, we think like this. Have you ever thought like this? I don't want to ask for this. I, there are people that are much worse off than I am. You ever think that? I mean, there are people with much bigger issues than I have. Why should I even bother God or I feel guilty about even asking because there are people in, you know, children in Africa or China or wherever it happens to be, India, that have much less than what my kids have. Why should I even ask? And, And here's what Jesus is saying. First of all, that's true. There are people who are much worse off than you are. Every one of us in this place would be just about every one of us in this place would be categorized as rich if you put us on a world scale, okay? But if what Jesus says is true that everybody who asks receives, then then those who are worse off than you can go to God and ask too. Why wouldn't you ask? You see what I'm saying? It's not like there is a, there's kind of a scale on who has more, who has less, and so... We, we got to be careful that we, we, no, 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 no. He says leave all that stuff to God. Everybody has equal access to God. And so just ask. Come and ask for what you need. Other, others of us, reason that we're hesitant or we, we won't ask is because we feel like we're not worthy to ask. I'm not good enough. Why would God even listen to me? Anybody ever had that kind of a feeling? Well, you're right. You aren't good enough. In fact, in the next verse that, that we study here that Jesus talks about, he calls you evil. He says you were evil. He, he, he says we're all evil. I'm less evil than you are, but you're evil. Okay, we're all evil. We're all evil. Um, but he deals with that. He deals with that. In, in John 1.12, he says, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God he says he says that all who believe in Jesus and who accept him they have the right to be this builds here they have the right to become children of God what was interesting to me was um, in the Christmas services that we just finished we had had almost 19,000 people uh, here and in the campuses come to our Christmas services and at the end of every service, I challenged you guys, I challenged everybody, to really make a commitment to Christ and, and, to, and to follow God, and especially if you've never done it before. And I, I'm telling you, I had more people look up at me and go, I wanna follow God. Many of who had never done that, or some who had strayed away, th- than ever, any time in my ministry, probably all put together the rest of the years of ministry top by this weekend. And here's what was exciting to me, is if you really did that, if you accepted and believed Jesus, you became adopted into God's family. You became a child of God. Why is that important? Because, Because Jesus' promise here is to believers. It's to the family. It's to children of God. He says, that if you ask your father, then, then you'll re- receive, you'll receive. Because everybody receives, everybody that seeks, finds, and everybody that knocks, the door will be open to him. You say, well, how can evil people be adopted into God's family? In Matthew 20 and verse 28, it says, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does that mean? Jesus gave his life to ransom us from the wrath of God and put us into a position of children who only receive good things. See, God is upset. God hates evil. God hates the evil things that happen here on the earth. We're all evil. We are all evil objects to some degree of the wrath of God because God hates evil. He hates it every time somebody lies to somebody. He hates it every time somebody cheats on somebody. He hates it every time somebody uh, takes an innocent life. He hates it every time that someone is abused. God hates that. And the problem is we're wrapped up in that to some degree. And so Jesus came and he became the ransom for our sin. So that we could be placed in a position of children of God. And that as children, we only receive good things. The death of Jesus, the gospel, is the foundation for all of the promises of God. And all the answers to prayer that we get. That's why when we pray, do you guys end your prayer with in Jesus' name? Do you know why we do that? Because that's what it's all about. That's that's the only footing that we have before the Father, but it's great footing. Jesus is the reason that we, that, that we, we have what we have, okay? And so Jesus says everybody can come to God. God wants you to come to Him. And all of God's kids who ask, receive. And then the third thing He says is that when we ask, remember that we are coming to our Father. We are coming to our Father. next part of the verse says, which of you... If your son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? couple of thoughts about this. Father is not a throwaway term with Jesus. It's a big deal. He says, this is your father that you're coming to. And the implication is that he will never, ever, 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 ever give you something bad. He will never, because a good father doesn't do that. You say, well, you know, when I think of Father God, I think of my father, and for some of us, you know, our father was a hero and a great and wonderful and all that kind of thing. But for others of us, our father was less than that, and it's hard for me to equate. Well, let me just say this. God, our father, is a lot better than our earthly fathers because there's no evil in him at all. There is evil in the best earthly father. The best earthly father gets tired and says stuff that they shouldn't say. Any testimonies here? The best earthly father disciplines from time to time incorrectly and out of anger. The best earthly father forgets important dates when they shouldn't. The best, all earthly fathers scratch themselves in public and embarrass their children. (laughs) Okay? That's just what we do. All right? The bad ones are narcissistic, they're abusive, they're despicable individuals. But never limit your understanding of the fatherhood of God to your experiences with your own father. Because God, your father, doesn't have any hurts that he communicates out of. God, your father, doesn't have any hang ups that from the way he was raised or in his background or whatever. God, your heavenly father, doesn't have any bad habits that he needs to break or that manifest themselves on you. He is always loving, He is always wise, He is always generous, He is always fair. He is always considerate. He always has your best interest in mind. Jesus, in comparing earthly fathers and heavenly fathers, he, he says, you know, you, you, you who are evil, he says, even most sinful dads have the common sense to give their kids good things. That's what they want for their kids. I want, I want my best. I want the best for my kids. Even when I don't know what good things are, even when I confuse good things and bad things, Even when I get it wrong, most evil or sinful fathers want to do best for their kids. And he says, if your earthly dad gives you good things, how much more will your heavenly dad give good gifts to those who ask? Always he gives good gifts and to every one of his kids. So you say, well, what's up with the ask, seek, and knock? It kind of sounds like God's playing kind of cosmic hide and go seek with me, and I don't like games like that. What's up with that? Well, let me give you an illustration of that just real fresh uh, out of my life experience. So uh, many of you know that my youngest daughter, uh, who is pregnant with our 10th grandchild, and you found out today if you're here at the Long Point campus that now there's number 11 coming and there may be more, and it just hasn't been announced yet, and the, um, I probably shouldn't say that, and so my youngest daughter, pregnant with uh, 10, okay, with number 10, and his name's Breck, and he decides to come early at 28th week, uh, or he wasn't ready to come early, and water broke, and so she's in the hospital, MUSC, been there for... Almost three weeks, and we'll be there for at least another three weeks. So um, Ben, her husband, and Sadie and Rylan, their twins who are three years old, have moved into our house, so we kind of help take care of them. And so uh, pray for Debbie and I. We are old people. And <laughs> I remember, listen, <laughs> I don't have time for all this, but it's kind of fun, I I remember the empty nest syndrome when the last child left. It was hard for me, can I tell you? Some people go, oh, it's wonderful. It was hard. It was a tough transition for Debbie and I. I was a grouch, didn't her right, all this kind of stuff. It was hard. And then I had to preach on the weekends. Okay, it was hard. But we've been in it a while and we love it. <laughs> we love our nice, quiet, peaceful, boring life, you know. We've been married a long time. We don't even have to talk to one another and just enjoy hanging out. You know, it's just like, well, that that ain't happening anymore. It's gone, you know. and So we got two little three-year-olds in the house. And we'll be sitting on the couch watching TV together or reading a book or whatever. And one of them, maybe Sadie, will look up at me with those big old eyes. She's sitting right next to me because they like to sit really close. And she'll say, Papa. And when she says, Papa, you're getting what you want. Okay, that's just, you're just going to get it. So... And she'll say, Papa, could I have a treat? Oh, yeah, we're going to go get a treat. Let's go get a treat. Yeah, we, uh, we, lunch is coming. Yeah, it doesn't matter. We're going to go get a treat. Let's go get something. Okay. Or, or maybe I'll be in the other room, and I'll hear one of them say, where's Papa? Where's Papa? And so he's in the, so she'll go seek me. When she was sitting next to me, all she did was ask. When I was in the other rooms, so you've got to go seek. Then I was preparing for this message. And uh, we've recently added an office onto my house. We just took a porch and put a roof on it and windows and stuff. So it's, it's my office where I study because I can't get anything done in the office across the street. And so I, I study there, and it's got windows. It was a porch, so it's, we, we, it's got windows that look into the rest of the house. And so um, Rylan was looking for Papa. And she saw me through the window, and she went upstairs and knocked on the door where I was at. And I'm studying. I'm on a roll. I don't really have time to stop. And she's knocking on the door. Papa. Papa. Annoyingly obnoxious. (laughs) Importune. Papa, there are other people in the house. Go talk to them is what I was thinking. Papa. So finally I yelled at her. No, I didn't. I'm sinful, but I'm not that sinful. So I got up and I went to the door and I looked at her and I went and got what she needed and wanted. That's the picture of the whole deal. There are times when you're, it feels like you're sitting right next to God. And it's just like relationships happen, it's cool, whatever, ask. There are times it feels like God's a little bit distant. You need to go seek. There there are times when there are barriers that you need a breakthrough on, okay? And in those times, you need to knock and knock and keep knocking. It's not about God playing hide and go seek. It's more about the location and the posture where we are. Does that make sense? And so he will hear you And he will give you good things because you sought him and not another source. Very quickly. Now, listen, here's a question before we go to kind of practical application. And that will be real quick. But here's a question that all of us have. Does that mean that a child of God gets everything he or she asks for? Is that what that means? No. And let me tell you why. Let me give you two reasons. The first reason is that if God did everything we asked, if I said, okay, God, Here's my list for today. Here's four things I want, need. Could you go hustle on and, and get that done? And then I also want this. And then here's, here's my boss. He's a jerk. Could you break his teeth? That's what David prayed. Okay, so you need to, that's why you need to read scripture so you know how to pray for your enemies. But anyway, uh, actually, Jesus said pray for him. David was having a bad day. And, uh, you know, here's this, this, God, could you hustle and do that and get the to do list done? Who's God in that situation? I am. And if I'm God, it's not good for everybody else because I make a terrible God. Because I don't have infinite wisdom. I don't have infinite knowledge. I don't have a view of the future. I don't know how this decision is going to impact this decision, which is going to impact this decision, which is going to affect a whole group of people. God does. God's God and I'm not. That's one reason why it doesn't mean that we get everything exactly that we ask for in the way that we ask. Uh, The second reason uh, that is a no for that is because sometimes we ask for stones and snakes, okay? He says, if you ask for bread, he won't give you a stone. If you ask for fish, he won't give you a snake. And sometimes we ask for stones and snakes. Have you ever really wanted something and later found out it wasn't a good thing and maybe really it was a bad thing and when you got it, you spent most of your time trying to get rid of it? Does it have a name? Because most of our stones and snakes have names on them. And God is limited in that he only gives good things. He won't give you a snake. The text doesn't say, ask and you will receive the very thing you ask for, when you ask for it, in the way that you ask for it. It doesn't say that, but here's what it does say. It does say, when we ask, when we seek, when we knock, our Father hears us and gives us good things. Sometimes it's exactly what we asked for. Sometimes it's exactly in the timing that we were expecting. Sometimes it is exactly how we envisioned. Other times, he gives us something better at a more appropriate time and in a way, when we look back, just absolutely blows our mind. But that tests our faith. Because if we thought something different was better, that's what we would have been praying for. Do you understand what I'm saying? If you thought that something different was better, because we pray for what we think is best. And so what we have to do is we have to have faith in our Father God who loves us, who is infinitely wise, understanding, infinitely loving, infinitely gracious. He will hear us. We will receive. Because everybody who asks, everybody who seeks, everybody who knocks, but we have to have faith that God will do what is best, okay? So that's kind of the lesson. So let me ask you this. How much are you leaving on the table because you don't ask, you don't seek, you don't knock? You know, how much are you leaving on the table for yourself or for your family or for our church or for the nation? For our world, there have been some terrible tragedies in the last few uh, months uh, hurricanes and uh, shootings and various things. And they are tragedies. But someone said the greatest tragedy of our lifetime is the prayerlessness of Christians. How much could we avert? How much could we have if we wouldn't leave it on the table? If we would just come to God and believe that He wants to give what is good to his kids. So I want to challenge you to do three practical things in response to the word. This is your part. We're asking God for a breakthrough this year. I want you to do three things. Say, I'm going to pray. That's the first thing. I am going to pray. Set aside a time. If what Jesus said is true, I want you to set aside a time uh, for prayer and reflection. Uh, We're fasting and praying together. What is a fast? Anything. Maybe it's just, it's just uh, uh, quit doing something so that you can hear God more. You know, it's not about how much food that you don't eat or how much social media that you don't do or whatever your fast happens to be. It's am I connecting with God? It's taking time, to deny myself to connect with God. And so I want to challenge you to do that. Establish pattern of prayer. Um, if it's helpful to you, every day during this series, and we're going to post it on my website, um, uh, gregsratt.org, we're going to post a daily Bible study and devotion that relates to what we talk about on the weekend. And you can go there every day. Uh, there will be notifications on the city and social media and everywhere else. And, and by the way, when you see it, how about you re- retweet it or, or share it or whatever you do on, on uh, Facebook, and let's just make it as viral as we possibly can. Uh, make a habit of prayer. This is a time when we want to establish new habits. Let me give you four ways to make a habit. First thing you've got to do is answer the why question. And that's the motivation. You'll never establish a new question unless you get, or a new habit unless you get the motivation right. Wrong question is, I'm gonna start praying because I should. You know, I don't pray, I should, I feel guilty about it, I should. Greg says we ought to pray, I should. You'll never do it. You'll never last beyond a few days. Right motivation is, I'm gonna start praying because prayer unlocks potential. Prayer unlocks potential. And so I'm gonna pray. Uh, Set a goal, set a goal. When am I gonna pray? How often am I gonna pray? How long? These are important things, important things. I want to challenge you to do it. Uh, Create the right environment. Where am I gonna pray, you know? What tools do I need in order to be successful in prayer? I need a Bible, maybe I need a prayer journal where I can write out the things that I'm praying for. Um, Some of those types of things. Uh, Become accountable, I think that is so important. I've established some really cool new habits over the last couple of years. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I've done the other things, but the one thing that kept me on track was having a couple of guys in my life who I said, here's what I want to do, here's what I want to be, would you help me with that? Would you hold me accountable? And so get a couple of people that, to hold you accountable for it, okay? So first, thing I'm going to pray. Second thing I'm going to do is I'm going to pray specifically. I'm going to pray specifically uh, over the next 21 days. Make a prayer list, okay? Make a prayer list. And here's, here's what I'd like you to do on your prayer list. As you make a prayer list, think about this. If what Jesus is, is saying is true and everybody that asks receives, then what would I ask God for? In fact, go like this. Say, like, if nothing were impossible, hey, guess what? The Bible says nothing is impossible with God. If nothing were impossible, then what would I ask God for? What would I ask God for? And do it personally. What do I need? What do I want? Do it for family and friends. Do it uh, for work and, and financially. Have financial prayer goals. I want to challenge you to do this. And financially, do it a little bit different than you normally would on a goal-setting thing. Rather than how much I want to make, do this. Do this. How much do I want to give? How generous do I want to be? We spent this last month in a series on generosity that just blew this, the lid off this place. And, and we saw how God blesses generosity. So why don't you set a generosity goal that says, you know what, this year I want to give X. And what would be fun is to go, and I'd like that to be X percentage of what I make. You, you do the math on that. That could be fun. That could be incredible. And go to God with it. Say, here's my generosity goal, okay? Uh, a missional goal. Uh, who should I be praying for? Who do you want me to? focus in on who's not in the family of Christ, who's in my arena, and it's one of the reasons that I'm alive right now is because you've put me in this place to work because so-and-so works there, or I'm in this school, or I'm in this dorm room, I'm wherever I am, and show me that. And I'm gonna write it down, and I'm just gonna pray specifically for that person and see what you do. This year I'm gonna pray, I'm gonna pray specifically. Third thing, I'm gonna pray persistently, persistently. So here's the question. How long should I keep praying for something? I've got a scripture. Let's read it together. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. Never stop praying. I think that's pretty clear. Anybody have a problem understanding that? (laughs) Never stop praying. Should you ever quit praying about something? Yeah. There's two reasons that you ought to quit praying about something. Number one, circumstances change. What you're praying for changed. Okay, there's an answer. Number two, you changed. You ever started praying for something, and then it didn't seem important anymore, and you changed? Well, quit praying for it. It's over. It's done. But the, nowhere in the Bible does it say you can stop praying just because you get discouraged. Nowhere in the Bible does it say you just give up and quit because the answer hasn't happened on your timetable. You know, I've been praying for this change in my life, and it hasn't happened yet, I'm just going to quit. Or I've been praying for this miracle, or I've been I've been praying for my spouse, or I've been praying... For a partner. It never says stop praying, just keep on believing and keep on asking. Daniel Boone, great explorer. Somebody came to Daniel Boone uh, one time and asked, Have you ever gotten lost in the wilderness? He said, No, I've never been lost. I've been bewildered for weeks at a time, but I've never been lost. (laughs) So, what do you do when you're bewildered? You keep going, you keep going. And some of you are bewildered today. Your marriage is bewildering to you. Feels like you're lost. Your career may be bewildering. Your education or your relationships, you need a breakthrough. Let's take Jesus at his word. We're gonna ask, we're gonna seek, we're gonna knock until the answer comes. In fact, This year, as a church, I'd like us to push too far in prayer instead of not far enough. How about that? Let's be shamelessly annoying to God if that's possible. Let's pray. Let's make prayer. Let's make it the one thing. I want to pray for you. God, today, it is such a privilege for me to talk to such a wonderful group of people. And God, I ask that in the next few minutes, as we respond to you, that your kingdom would begin to come in areas of breakthrough and that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven in this area of breakthrough. God, I also pray that you would teach us to want to pray and to desire to pray. Make it the one thing. Make it the one thing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.